0: Hey, this is noah levine founder of against the stream refuge recovery and dharma punks thanks for tuning into the podcast i hope you're enjoying the dharma together may we create a positive change on this planet if you feel moved to leave a donation there's a link in the show notes may our paths cross soon welcome everybody anybody here for the first time welcome 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 back Welcome to anybody joining us on the zoom for the first time. I Like to start class by asking you to uh, for I introduce a topic and uh, ask you to talk to each other a little bit in service of developing community and uh, practicing right speech and listening and Last week, somebody um, asked me to address sorrow. As a topic for Dharma talk and uh, investigation for tonight. Uh, of course, they didn't show up tonight, but maybe they'll they'll listen to the podcast later or something. Just reflecting for a moment on uh, sorrow. What kind of sorrow have you experienced in your life?
1: of sorrow do you
0: experience about your life or about the world about the the state of of the world that we live in the way things are all of the injustice all of the violence all of the ignorance that's happening constantly in the world So i'm going to talk a bit about so i'm going to I mean mostly i'll frame it as. um, uh, The Buddha's first noble truth. That the the beginning of the path to freedom starts by acknowledging turning towards becoming uh, fully aware and breaking any shred of denial that we might have about our suffering. About the dukkha, about the sorrow, the grief, the sadness, the loneliness, the afflictive emotions that we experience as humans, as well as all of the loss and the um, sadness and difficulty, the difficult situation that we're all born into. So, we'll talk about that tonight, and and you know, coming around to the Buddha's teachings on how to deal with it. How to be with that how to alleviate suffering in the midst of a world that's filled with sorrow and a, a human experience that uh, experiences uh, quite a bit of afflictive difficult emotions sadness loneliness grief anger fear sorrow.
1: Um,
0: so for small groups it's. Um, think about your uh, difficult emotions that like your top, top five, top three. What are the uh, emotional states that you find uh, hardest to bear, hardest to, to experience? Is it for you, is it loneliness that, that really kind of gets you or is it um, fear, uh, worry, doubt? What are the um, is it it sorrow is it sorrow at the state of the world kind of can become for many people quite overwhelming when you look at social media or you turn on the news and you see oh look at all of this violence, look at all of this ignorance, look at all of this oppression look at all of this. uh, Gross ignorance happening in our world violence. So that's your um, topic. What are the difficult, you know, most, you know, for you, what are the most difficult, uh, what we call afflictive emotions that, that your mind, that your heart, that you uh, experience? And at home, I'll put you in small groups and in the room, just try to find two or three people that you don't know yet. The, the purpose of this is to also to connect. And I know it's quite vulnerable to be like oh i'm you know filled with self-hatred all the time it's really difficult (laughs) uh, or whatever it is for you Um, but better to talk to people you don't know so that you meet people here in the room and at home i'll put you in the breakouts so rather than jumping right into the meditation i'll say a few things to introduce the practice that we're that we're going to do tonight talk a little bit then we'll meditate then we'll have some
2: discussion for
0: most of us i think it's no need to explain or over over explain uh suffering, we all have our experience of suffering and uh, sorrow and difficulties and grief and loneliness and anger and fear. And it's not hard uh, for us to acknowledge like, yeah, being a person, is fucking challenging, having a human mind that judges and compares and worries and criticizes and and as if the the human mind isn't difficult enough, then we live in this realm, this world of impermanence and one of the kind of first obvious things that that Buddhism teaches us and that just, you know, kind of Reflection reveals is that everything's constantly changing, and that um, people are dying. And you know, our friend uh, Lion, part of, part of our sangha, part of our community, uh, died two weeks ago. Um, Lots, lots of loss. I don't know how many people you've lost in your lifetime. Maybe, you know, your grandparents or your, you know, I don't know how many of you've lost friends. But being, um, you know, uh, in recovery from addiction, I've just seen so many people die over the years. Over the, um, some people aren't touched as much by by that, but eventually we all are we all we all experience loss and we we understand everything's impermanent every relationship has a beginning a middle and end and you know that sort of sorrow of uh, the unreliable nature of everything nothing's reliable but we're born into these bodies that cling this mind that wants security wants Something to be reliable wants uh, to feel safe and secure, but you know the reality is ultimately no such thing. no such thing as uh, safety. no such thing as security, no such thing as uh, a secure external external there's no there's no one of the ways that we put it in buddhism there is no reliable external refuge nothing outside of us uh, can we rely on and um, you know sometimes it's more obvious than others uh, and also depending on where you're sitting in your Gender and race and orientation of how much, you know, kind of obvious oppression you experience in your day to day. Uh, And then sometimes looking at the news, it's, uh, you know, less obvious of how much corruption, how much ignorance, how much violence with what's been happening in Palestine the last couple of months now, and seeing like, wow, there's a fucking genocide happening on our planet right now. And, you know, there was also one going on in the Congo that we're not paying attention to. And, you know, the war in Ukraine and, you know, the kind of news cycles where, um... anyways, I don't need to, I don't want to get too, too political, but I just want to point out the suffering on the planet that we live on. And, um, and there does seem to be something i see it in myself i don't know if you see it in yourself but a tendency to kind of go into denial about it in order to kind of function Does seem to be some level of like and then also you know depending on how much privilege we sit in where we're able to deny it you know and it's not affecting us directly all you know uh, all of the time not everybody has that ability or or privilege or sits in that place where that you know it's undeniable for a lot of people because it's there's a constant barrage in their lives so the buddha starts the whole path he says you know there's suffering and there's internal suffering grief sorrow loss pain sickness old age death grief and he says and the reason why we suffer you know there's there's enough like kind of unpleasantness to existence but then we unintentionally create this whole extra level of suffering on top of it because of the clinging because of the craving and the clinging and the lack of acceptance of pain the lack of tolerance for pain the lack of compassion for pain i mean if you if we really look at our lives how much of our that extra layer is caused through resisting unpleasantness hating unpleasantness being afraid of unpleasantness being aversive being rejecting so so some some level of our suffering is created through aversion and then how much of our suffering that extra layer is created by clinging I want pleasure, I want to be comfortable, I want to be safe, I want to be secure, I want to be liked all of the time. (laughs) I want want to get positive attention and not negative attention. I I like praise, I don't like blame, I like pleasure, I don't like pain. I like gaining, you know, what I want to get, I don't like losing what I want to
1: keep.
2: So um, most of you are well
0: aware of the the, Buddha, the Buddhist view, which is that we create a lot of suffering due to our relationship to pleasure and pain. And it's possible, the, the, the kind of the big teaching, the big promise in Buddhism is it's possible in this lifetime to not create suffering, to learn to meet pain with enough compassion, that we accept yep there's a bunch of loss and we accept it and we meet that unpleasant loss with compassion yep it's yep there's no safety and we accept it and we sit with the insecurity with wisdom we sit with it with uh, wisdom and and non-clinging and then every time we cling for security we create suffering every time we cling for pleasure we create suffering every time we cling to an impermanent experience, whether it's a relationship or a thing or a place or a, we create suffering. So, you know, we spend the rest of our lives trying to let go, trying to not be so attached and not create that extra level of suffering. We spend the rest of our lives trying to be compassionate rather than angry and aversive accepting the reality of pain and knowing that our best bet is to meet the painful thoughts, feelings, emotions, experiences with friendliness, with care, with tenderness, with mercy, with compassion and forgiveness. So we spend the rest of our lives trying to break out of the habitual reactive clinging and a virgin, which creates suffering which creates a, a state of sorrow in our lives and in the world. And then there's the humility of like, and yeah, we're not very good at it. Some of us have been at it for decades, still not very good at being compassionate towards our own pain, still find ourselves clinging. It's not like, well, I'm gonna meditate for a few months and then I'm gonna be a compassionate non-attached, we, you know, we spend the rest of our lives trying to moment to moment let go of that which we're clinging to, and meet with compassion that which is hard to bear whether it's an afflictive emotion or a experience in the world or So I thought that for this topic, rather than just sitting with mindfulness, that we would do the Tonglen practice the Tibetan meditation that uh, is a meditation on the first noble truth and as I started the I think before the the small groups part of the first noble truth is to break denial about how much we are suffering and about how much suffering there is in the world to take off the mask that we usually put on when somebody says how you doing you know, don't say. Well, I've got sadness and sorrow and lonely, and I'm, you know. You don't talk about the afflict. You say I'm fine, pretty good. You know, but uh, like if if we you know actually do small group work like this and normalize and say, you know, what are the difficult emotions that you experience? We all have them one of the things I love about Buddhism that you don't get in a lot of realms in our world is that it normalizes it where we actually have this vulnerable conversation about our suffering. And it normalizes that it's universal we're all experiencing it but nobody's talking about it that much till you come to a Dharma talk till you come to a. uh, You know, maybe a recovery meeting or you know a group therapy or something like that these little pockets. And then we will go out in the world and pretend like we're fine. Maybe you are fine. I'm not saying, you know, like it's not all fake. Some of the times we are quite all right, too. So Tonglen is um, this practice in the meditation of breathing in the sorrow and acknowledging it and breathing it in. And the perspective is that actually the human heart, that there's this, uh, an aspect of us called bodhicitta and it's uh, the uh, enlightened heart or the, the compassionate heart. And that it's in all of us, whether or not you're aware of it or not it's part of your true nature, for lack of a better word, is that there's a part of your heart that is is compassion. There's a part of your true nature that is compassion. Even if your mind isn't very compassionate, there's a part of you that maybe we don't have that much access to, maybe you're not tuned into yet, but there's a part of us that is compassion. And so we breathe the sorrow, the suffering, the difficulty, into the heart to the compassionate heart and then the compassionate heart the bodhicitta purifies meets the pain the sorrow of our life the sorrow of the world appropriately wisely with compassion and we breathe out compassion towards all living beings towards the world so we breathe in the sorrow of the world we breathe out compassion towards all of the sorrow and suffering in the world There's some visualizations traditionally that in Tibetan Buddhism that they do where you see the suffering as, anyways, I'll give some visualizations in the meditation. That's probably enough explanation. Find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed.
1: As you allow your eyes to close, just turn towards your heart center.
0: Maybe there's some people that showed up in kind of a good mood to meditation are like, what the fuck? (laughs) You don't have to fake it. You don't have to. You know, if you're in a good mood, that's okay. This is still a wise part of the practice to develop uh, more and more compassion. It's often easier to develop compassion when we're not overwhelmed by sorrow in preparation for when the really difficult emotions
2: come. reflecting
0: on your own body's process of aging subject to sickness, illnesses, death,
2: the impermanent nature of this physical form. Recognizing
0: that this is not only true for us, it's true for everyone that we know, everyone that we care about, subject to sickness, aging, death.
2: reflecting on the
0: reality of the planet that we live on, this planet planet that's being destroyed, the environment is being changed by human existence, consumption.
2: Breathing in the reality of
0: the environmental insecurity, the devastation,
2: climate change. Reflecting
0: on what's happening on the planet, the wars in the Congo the Ukraine and Palestine,
2: the genocide, the violence, the murder, the hatred happening on this planet. The poverty
1: the tens of thousands of people who are
2: starving to death. Holy sexism, racism, homophobia, And breathing in
1: the sorrow for the world, the suffering in the world.
0: Breathing out compassion, the intention to meet all of the sorrow, all of the suffering, all of the confusion
2: on this planet. with the wisest possible response,
1: the response of mercy, of compassion, perhaps forgiveness rather than hatred. But allowing ourselves to feel, feel the sorrow as you breathe it in.
0: You can visualize the suffering that you breathe into your heart center as like a, Smoke like a soot,
1: and imagine that yeah, the suffering is hot, the hot fire of sorrow, heavy, thick,
0: and the heart transforms it the bodhicitta, the enlightened heart, compassionate heart. As you exhale imagine it, visualize it as
1: clear, cool. Compassion
2: is cooling, extinguishing.
0: You may just even place the word suffering or sorrow as you breathe in into your mind. And place the word compassion as you exhale. Breathing in the suffering, breathing out compassion towards the planet,
2: towards the war zones on the planet.
1: So it's all of the people experiencing
2: oppression, violence. Breathing
1: in
0: also the suffering of those who are so confused that they are acting in violent, confused ways.
1: Breathing out compassion for that confusion, that ignorance of the
2: oppressors. And also
1: personalize this practice to the sorrow in your life. What it's like just to live with your mind that judges and compares the broken hearts, the insecurity, the loss that you have experienced
2: or worry about experiencing. Remember, as you breathe out
0: compassion, compassion is also letting go of needing it to be different than it is. Compassion is accepting,
2: caring, but it is also non-attached. Exhaling, cool,
1: refreshing,
2: non-clinging compassion. With each
1: exhale, extending compassion to all living beings, training the heart, the mind to
2: care, to be friendly, to be loving. buddha says meeting
0: with compassion those who are nearby and far away the old and the young those being born and those dying
2: the weak strong As I said in
0: the beginning, before we meditated, the third noble truth of of Buddhism is that through our own effort, the practice of renunciation, stopping doing the things that are creating suffering in our lives, creating negative karma, karmic habitual patterns, practicing some renunciation, practicing meditation, training the mind to be present, to see clearly, to respond wisely, developing non-attachment, developing compassion, forgiveness, that we can end suffering. We can um, alleviate that extra layer that that we create through resisting the way it is, through hating the way it is, through clinging to the impermanent way it is, nirvana is the third noble truth is the end of end of suffering now that's the teaching (laughs) my sense is and and part of what nirvana is is um, living out the karma of this lifetime and uh, then not coming back and and it, it's it's the deathless it's not reincarnating not coming back is really the end of grief sorrow and lamentation the end of of pain is when we don't come back because from a buddhist perspective we're in this cycle of of rebirth and so not only do we have all of the sorrow of this lifetime then we die and we have more sorrow And we die and then we have more sorrow and then we die and then we because every time we're born we're born into an impermanent realm where there's clinging and there's aversion and there's ignorance and there's oppression and there's sorrow. So a big part of the traditional Theravadan perspective on the goal is get free so you don't have to keep coming back and doing this shit over and over. I know that doesn't make sense to everybody. The reincarnation loses a lot of rational, (laughs) uh, materialist, you know, scientific, you know, whatever, Westerners, people. That's okay, you don't have to believe any of that, but that is the traditional um, view. But it does leave the question, and I think it's, I like to frame it, I think it's important for us, uh, you know, around sorrow. Like, my sense is that even if you're completely non-attached and completely compassionate, there's going to be very little suffering, but there's going to still be some sorrow. I feel like just existing in this world of impermanence, there's going to be some grief. There's going to be some like I really love deeply and then people die. And even though I'm not that attached and I'm compassionate and I get it, it still fucking hurts to love deeply in an impermanent realm. Now, I say love deeply often. Love is actually, you know, clinging, right? And we have to all look at the difference of like, where's the love and where's the clinging? but even with non-clinging love you know love is just this connection and this feeling of uh of caring and and generosity but really you know there's a connection and when that connection and there's a difference between clinging and connection but even in non-clinging when there's that deep you know loving connection when that person isn't there anymore when they die or leave or whatever it is there's still this sense of loss even when it's not fingernails dug in (laughs) you know neurotic grief there's an ordinary i think there's an ordinary sense of sorrow at loss even with non-attachment and um, there's only a couple of places that i know of in the buddha's teachings where he talked about um, because there's On one hand, the traditional definition of Nirvana and the Buddha is an enlightened being and he's dwelling in you know Nirvana. Non suffering. Um, But when his two best friends die towards the end of his life, and these are his life long over 30 year companions uh, in the you know they're all monks and and it's translated as um, at one point he says like the assembly like the sangha the gathering feels empty without them here and you kind of i don't know about you but i remember when i first heard that i'm like oh i'm kind of surprised that an enlightened being feels that sort of loss because there's all these teachings about you're perfectly enlightened and you have no suffering and you know but he's saying i'm i'm awake but also i miss my friends it feels empty feels one of the ways that it's uh, translated uh, is that feels. he says something like some i've heard it translated as it feels like the sun has been extinguished from the earth without these beings here. And it sounds a little bit like attachment it sounds a little bit, but also maybe it's just a healthy sorrow for loss that even in enlightened you know that connection i've been connected with these people for decades they've been my partners on the path and they're gone they're no longer i no longer am i lost that connection and there's even uh, sorrow is an appropriate response so my my senses and my practice and my my view is um, yes, we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to be non-attached and not be that good at it because we'll cling over and over. We'll spend the rest of our lives trying to be compassionate towards pain. And you know, you'll you'll see the needle move, depending on you know where your default is when you come to to practice. Some people come with some level of compassion. Some of us are really in the red. <laughs> And then over the years, you say, oh, I'm a bit more tolerant, and I'm a bit more accepting, I'm a bit more forgiving, and, and I've, I've actually developed some compassion over the years of practice. I guess where I'm going with this and my, is that there's some level of acceptance. Not that we're going to meditate all of the sorrow away, but there's some level, and I take that know the buddha's experience of grief because there's some acceptance that no matter how fucking free you get it's still gonna hurt sometimes and remember the end of suffering is not the end of pain it's the end of that extra layer of that we put on top even with all of the compassion even with all of the wisdom It's still fucking painful to hear about what's happening in Palestine, to see it. It's painful. We can meet it with as much compassion as we can. It's really painful to know that that's what's happening. Just like things that happen in your mind today that were painful. Painful thoughts, painful feelings, painful sensations, difficult experiences that we have in our life. We learn to meet them with acceptance, with care, with compassion, but it doesn't make it not painful to exist. There's a part of existence that is just painful. There's a part of living in this world of impermanence. And Marianne, I see that, you know, who asked me to talk about this, I see that she actually is with us on the Zoom. I know part of the reason she was asking about it is because her partner is having a lot of medical stuff and aging and um, sickness and aging and death. is just like this realm that we're in. These bodies just don't last all that long. My mother in law was diagnosed with stage four cancer about a month ago. Um, you know, and it's just, these bodies there's just subject to sickness. you know the Buddha leads with that. like remember this very body that might be very healthy now it's not going to last. It's subject to sickness and disease, aging and illness and death. Death is natural
1: part of
0: of life. that's the outcome. Um, But this dilemma that we have, because we cling, but even with less clinging, just connection, there's still this dilemma that we have of like, oh, this hurts, hurts to lose people, hurts to see our parents die, or our, you know, loved ones die, or our our friend Lion, who was young, die of cancer, terminal illness, you know, and And they're so, so part of our, our practice with the sorrow, I think, is yes, as much compassion as we can, and then a lot of acceptance. Yeah, but it hurts. Let's keep talking about the fact that it hurts. Let's stop denying it and suppressing it and medicating it and, and ignoring it. Let's normalize, like, yeah, it fucking hurts. Life, the first noble truth, the Buddha got it right. There's this suffering. There's this sorrow. There's this difficult reality to existence. Now, of course, there's the other side too. There's joy. There's pleasure. There's moments of you know incredible. You know, we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about the sorrow. But I, you know, have to say it's not. Sometimes people, Buddhism can get a bad rap. For being a little bit dour and a bit like talking about all the difficult stuff and you know it's all suffering and it's not all suffering and the more we practice actually the less we suffer but still we live in an impermanent realm still we lose our loved ones still we have bodies that age and ache and
2: get sick and get injured and
0: So I feel like um, I don't have that much more to say about him. I feel like I feel like some of my Buddhist teachers would probably not completely approve of the way that I'm talking. Sometimes I hear my talks through my teacher's views, and they, you know, the traditional view is like we can get fully enlightened and there won't be. I, I my my teacher sometimes says, um, one of them says he said. I heard him say this not that long ago he said he never misses anyone after 50 years of practice and um he says "Yeah, i just don't i just don't you know like i've got these really close relationships 50 years as a monk but when i don't see him i don't miss him when i see him i'm very happy to see them and you know i feel like he might say yeah no sorrow i don't experience that after 50 years of celibate monasticism (laughs) um and maybe that, you know, that I believe them. Um, but that's not my reality, even after 30 something years of practice, I experience quite a bit of grief and uh, at loss and quite a bit of sadness and, and sorrow. Um, and, you know, maybe because I'm a part-time Buddhist, not a full-time Buddhist, like those monks, it's just a hobby, <laughs> they're professionals.
2: We're like hobbyists. So what do you think about
0: what I'm saying? Let's open it to some dialogue, some um, discussion about sorrow and acceptance versus you know reduction versus completely alleviating it and 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 how much do we have to just accept as part of the package as long as we're incarnated as long as we're here so if you have a question or comment at home you can raise your hand in the uh, reactions tab at the bottom and if it, please is it mark yeah yeah Mark I feel like it's I feel like, it's like uh, stuff but. Feel like it's the acceptance and then the wave of it coming back, you know. It's like you sit there and you meditate on it, and you think about it, and you're like, Yeah, I'm permanent. of course, let this go and not move on, but that was there and acknowledge it. And then, you know, like a couple of days later, you're like, oh, That still sucks, you know. Like, it's I think that's dealing with that, that second wave. And I guess you didn't really let go of it at that point, but... well, one of the ways that the second Noble truth is defined that that craving or clinging that it's repetitive. So even when we have fully let go, it doesn't stop it from re-arising. And sometimes we think like, oh well, if I've let go of a resentment or let go of a sorrow, we think like um, I'm like as though we can let go permanently. We can only let go in that present moment, and maybe we fully did let go, but second wave. Second, you know, third wave, fourth wave, fifth wave, it returns. And then in each moment, how am I meeting it now? The, the my, my mind is reminding me about this sadness, about this loss, about this, and, you know, and, you know, and then there's those stages, when we're talking about that, there's the stages of grief that you can, that uh, Eliz- Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with. And that's quite interesting. Have you ever caught yourself like in the stages where you're like bargaining and you're denying and you're, uh, you know, whatever, bargaining, denying, Uh, anger, kind of angry about it, and then you kind of come around to acceptance at some point, and then you go back through it and then kind of like bargaining again of like well. This shouldn't be happening or what if and that that blame that we sometimes do around like well if I would have I should have said I could have done all of that. So yeah lots of waves. And it's important to remember like yeah it's repetitive it's not. We don't just grieve and then we're done with it. It's a process that comes through as often as it needs to.
2: At home, Andy, go ahead. Um, It seems like to me, the way that I understand suffering, it's your reaction to the pain and so it seems like to me if you have an appropriate response being that ache or kind of that visceral sensation that one feels um, when something happens like that something that you can't even necessarily outthink that, that's pain happening and then the suffering is whatever you do to compound that the fixation or the revisiting or You know, that sort of thing, but it feels like, you know, there has to be in some losses, just unavoidable pain that somebody has that doesn't necessarily equate suffering. That's my thought. I want to hear your thoughts.
0: That sounds correct to me that part of it is just painful. And we can, you know, the more mindful we are, the more we can see like, oh, this is painful. And then we can identify and I'm aversive to the pain or I'm clinging to it. Um, And that that was my proposal is I think that even with total non-clinging and non-aversion, there's still a level of pain to existence and sorrow to existence. But we don't have to suffer about it, but it doesn't make it not painful. Mary Ann, I'm very curious of how this is landing for
2: you. One of those buttons will unmute it.
3: Okay, can you hear me? There you are. All right. You know, I would have to say, and I came to this feeling, thanks Noah for talking about it, with um, my very good a uh, match in the breakout room Allison up in Bend Oregon and and I thought sorrow is like something if you hold it in a certain way it can be a motivating energy to write action let's say that um, you're you're the person that you feel sorrow over they're vulnerable like you said people get sick people age people will die the sorrow is like a horse that you throw a bridle around not painful bridle harness it jump on it and ride that to right action so if, if you feel sorrow use it for good hmm. you're gonna have it anyway right you said it still hurts it's still gonna hurt so work for the good without hurt
0: i like it Can you like
3: here? it it's you like it it's yours i like it <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll take it I'll take it.
3: No, oh, please. What are your thoughts on healthy or unhealthy compartmentalization with sorrow, grief, and
0: cancer in the world? Could you hear at home the question? Questions about um, thoughts on Uh, compartmentalizing compartmentalization and the healthy versus unhealthy uh, in order to cope to deal with the world the sorrow in the world I mean I did say a little bit like I think that maybe part of our survival instinct there's just a natural tendency towards denial compartmentalizing setting aside um, that the you know maybe it's part of the impermanence, like we just we don't hold Palestine in our head all day, but we get those moments of remembering like oh there's fucking genocide going on right now there's over twenty thousand people have been killed in the last couple months um, so but the, 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 there is this quality of like, oh, but now i'm like eating lunch and I'm not thinking of it it's, it's somewhere else. Um, compartmentalizing feels like it's a little bit, uh, for me, I, I think of it as like, it's a little bit volitional, like we're doing it on purpose, like, now I'm going to set this aside, and I'm going to put it in this compartment, and I'm gonna. To... But I, but I think that it happens happening sort of naturally unconsciously in us all the time. Part of what mindfulness is asking us to do, especially in our meditation practice and throughout our day is to actually turn towards. I don't think that the the untrained, unmindful is very good at investigating what's in all of these compartments. What am I, you know, like you come to meditation and you would be like, okay, I've got the grief and I've got the sorrow and I've got the rage and I've got the lust and I've got the fear. And there's all of these compartments that we've, you know, kind of don't show and aren't even necessarily aware of and then in meditation we say like okay let me turn towards all of it so in meditation try not to compartmentalize anything try to you know let your meditation be let me open all of the compartments what's in here and in the appropriate times let's talk about it what's your sorrow what's your afflictive emotions what's What's happening so that we have those places in our lives where that we're not continuing to suppress and avoid and compartmentalize. But yeah, sometimes um, you know, like I see this in my own life as a parent, where sometimes I'm in the middle of some stuff, and I need to just set it aside and be present with the kids. And i'm not gonna bring it in and put it on the kids. I need to just compartmentalize it and be you know present be dad. Uh, and we have to, or sometimes you have to just go to work, you just have to, you know, you can't, it's necessary at times to set it aside. What we don't want to do is completely pretend like it's not there and never reapproach it with our therapist or in our meditation or in our conversations, we have to keep coming back to like, okay, it's here. And so much of meditation, I think is tending to what's in here. But yes, there's an appropriate time and place for tending to what's in here, and we're not—you know—it's not uh, always—it's not always appropriate. Sometimes we have to focus on the kids, or we got to go to work, or we got to show up in a way that, like right now, it's not the time for me processing my sorrow. Right. The idea of harnessing the
1: sorrow and the grief, if you can, depending on what's causing it, is
2: very
1: empowering, because I think we can be very haunted
0: by whatever causes us pain. Yeah, I mean, I really like that too, um, as the sort of antidote or opposite of becoming hopeless, haunted. I love what, what Marianne was saying, which is like, can we use that to kind of put the bridle on our pain and then take action? And how, how can I be of service? How can I be engaged? How can I heal my own heart and mind? And also, how can I help others?
2: Yeah, so good. Any other thoughts? Please. Hi, oh, um, I liked what you mentioned about
0: suffering and confusion. Does it mean me think a lot? And like, uh, I just remember going to a past job like i really wasn't i didn't like feel in line with their ethics and i just go to that job every day with this like gut wrenching feeling that it wasn't right and it's just like i couldn't focus and it was because i wasn't all the way in so it's like when i'm not all the way in on something i feel that sense of suffering it stills you emotionally so um, yeah there's the confusion and um, suffering really stuck with me and it's
1: I just realized it's so much better to be like a hundred percent in
2: on something least for me because I can be focused on it and feel good about it and that's a cool When
0: we're doing the meditation and thinking about the um suffering in the world, it's so easy to feel more hope, you know, for most of us, uh, easy to feel some empathy for those who are being oppressed, to feel some compassion for those who are, are, are being abused or oppressed in some way. Uh, what Buddhism is also encouraging, and what the Buddha is, you know, he said his experience is also, also having compassion for the oppressor, for the confusion that leads to, Racism, sexism, war, unbridled capitalist greed, having compassion. Because, right, it's so easy to get angry and just be like, fuck, war mongers, fuck the unbridled capitalist system that is supporting war and supporting all of this shit so so easy to meet it with anger rather than having compassion for the suffering of greed that is fueling it and the suffering of ignorance that is creating the racist world that we live in having compassion for all of it all living beings one of the ways that I remember being struck by a kind of powerful image was when I heard the Dalai Lama talk about the genocide that happened in Tibet and how he escaped the genocide in Tibet and and, um, talking about the communist Chinese as uh, the object of his compassion. These people who had murdered millions and imprisoned and tortured millions of Tibetans. And him saying, you know, my practice as a Buddhist is to try to meet, uh, you know, it's not all Chinese, but the communist regime that, you know, you know, invaded and and, and genocided the Tibetan people um, with compassion, and he, he said, I refer to them as my friends, the enemy and still saying like yeah they're they're the enemy but i'm doing my best to meet them with friendliness with compassion with understanding that the confusion and ignorance that led to all of that violence and murder and theft and um that's a powerful image and for all of us to kind of can we you know rather than my enemies that i hate and it's all their fault and it's because of you know social political you know we have all that we know rather than meeting it with anger with as much compassion my friends the republicans my friends the enemy rather than you know or, or the israelis or the palestinians or whatever it is my you know with compassion rather than hatred and judgment and you know, hating the Zionists' compassion rather than judgment and hatred. Easier said than done. I know I'm not perfect at it, but that's our goal. That's our teaching. That's certainly where I want to come from. trying, trying over here. Eric, please.
3: Um. <clears throat> Thank you for your talk, Noah. And uh, put this: Um, Does the Buddha explain? Well, I know from what I've learned, like the sorrow comes from the attachment and things like that. But where does it originate? The mind stream, or does it also live in the heart? Because my understanding, the heart functions very similar to the mind with the neurons and everything else. So through meditation. I can learn how to detach from things on a mind level, but what do we do about the heart? Is there a meditation that goes into the heart and to also learn how to release things from that, that, that area?
0: Um, the Buddha doesn't differentiate between the heart and mind, that it's actually the same thing. Um, we have a sort of dualistic, tendency and kind of like, my heart is wise and compassionate and, you know, or, you know, and then my mind is like the thoughts and my heart is the emotions, but uh, Buddhist psychology talks about the heart and mind being the same thing. And even that word, chitta, or Bodhicitta, uh, it means both. And that uh, sometimes Buddhist teachers will uh, point to their head and say, my mind is, or my heart is confused. Or they'll point to their heart and they'll say, their chest, and they'll say, my mind is completely at peace. And kind of understanding that these two things are completely interconnected is the the Buddhist perspective. Um, The origin of clinging is not really, it's one of the things that the Buddha doesn't answer. He's asked that question and he doesn't really answer. It's more just, it's the way it is. is. We're, And for me, I, cause I had that question too. And then I, the more I looked at um, evolutionary biology, that sort of answered it for me um, more than Buddhists, you know, cause the Buddha just like, there is, do you see the clinging? Where it comes from, doesn't matter so much, it's here. Right. Your body is clinging, your mind is clinging, your eyes, your ears. There's craving for pleasure constantly. Where does it come from? I don't answer that. But what can you do about it? Let go. Develop compassion, accept this process and intervene. Mindfulness is an intervention without mindfulness around and around and around in the clinging and aversion and self-centered, fear based mentality with compassion, with forgiveness, with mindfulness, we're training our our, our minds to not suffer so much, our hearts to not cling so much. We'll leave it there for tonight. Um, This coming Sunday, I have a day long, uh, a day of sitting and walking meditation. It's the um, 14th on Sunday, I believe that's the date. So you're all invited. We'll be in this room. Well, it'll also be on Zoom. Uh, if you uh, haven't registered yet, register. If you want to come and you can't afford, I think I, I'm asking $65 registration fee. All of that money goes to the nonprofit. Goes to Against the Stream. If you can't afford it, you can come, anyways. I'll scholarship. Nobody's turned away for lack of ability to pay. Everyone's welcome. If you want to come and sit and walk, just let me know so that we can get you on the registration list. And uh, don't worry about the money, um, but come and come and practice. And if you can afford it, pay. (laughs) And if you can't afford it, don't worry about it. Um, That's how we do it. I think that's it, I also have a um, weekend retreat for against a stream that i'm going to do there's this retreat Center on. Uh, Echo Park lake. Like right in downtown east side. Um, on the lake there's a Presbyterian church that has a retreat Center so we're going to do an urban in the middle of Los Angeles residential retreat and the retreat center is kind of secluded and there's a rooftop where you can see the lake and the place we're going to meditate like we're going to be meditating in the lake and the fountain is there and if people want to leave the retreat center and do walking meditation around echo park lake you're going to be able to do that Um, so anyways in may i've got a weekend may 10 11 12 where we're going to do a residential in the city silent meditation retreat right here on the east side so Uh, that registration will go up uh, within the next week or so for that's that's going to be the against the stream spring retreat instead of joshua tree or big bear we're doing it in la this year so we'll see i'm excited about it it's a cool place and i like i like the idea of uh, urban retreat like we do on the day longs where you're practicing in the environment that you live i've always had a little bit of an issue with the rarefied experience that we get on retreat where it's like i'm in the mountains but I don't fucking live in them and I get real peaceful in the mountains, and then I think I need to be in the mountains to be peaceful or i'm in the desert and the de- that's my spiritual place, but in the, not in la traffic i'm not fucking spiritual. So actually bringing our practice into the environment that we live and doing a retreat in the inner city, um, I think it's going to be great and if it works out well we'll do a bunch we'll do more events there too it's not too expensive so. Um, That'll be up for registration next week or so. I think that's all I got. Class is done by donation. Kansas Stream is a nonprofit that relies fully. We don't have any major benefactors paying the bills for us around here. It's just us, just you guys. Um, So, coming um, to class, uh, donate what you can. Suggested donation for Monday night drop-in, whether you're on Zoom or in person, is between twenty twenty-five dollars. If you can afford to make a twenty-five dollar donation, please do. If you can't, know that you're welcome to be here regardless of the ability to donate. Please consider becoming a monthly supporter. And if you think you're a monthly supporter, maybe double check because what happens is people become monthly supporters and then their card expires, or I get these notifications all of the time of like, you know, this person thought isn't, you know, the donation's not going through. And I don't call people and be like, yo, how come you're not donating? Why'd you cancel your shit, man? Um, but so if you think you're a monthly donator, a donor, uh, maybe double check, make sure that that's happening. And if you're not one and you want to be one, all of it's on on the website to support the the organization and to support me as a teacher i think that's it may any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions compassion for all living beings may each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.